On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, Bad Boss equals death. It's up to Jessica to solve this murder with the help of a doctor in a not-so-great episode. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder, She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show, Murder, She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and six-time Tony Award winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about season four, episode five, The Way to Dusty Death, air date October 25th, 1987. The synopsis reads... A tyrant's demise puts Jessica on the trail of several of his betrayed executives. Okay. As always, I spoil everything there is about the episode, the murderer, the suspects, everything in between. Sadly, all 12 seasons of Murder, She Wrote are no longer streaming on the Roku channel. They took them off. I do not know why, but they did. Um, So your ways to watch the show are kind of limited now. You can either buy the complete series on DVD, which takes all 12 individual seasons that were released over the course of from, I believe, 2005, 2006 to about 2009 or 2010 or 11. And puts them in a box together, unlike most complete series packages where they just put them in flimsy packaging and just say, here you go. Um, or um, all 12 seasons are still streaming on NBC's Peacock app, only as far as I know, it's in the premium section and you have to shell out $4.99. For a basic membership or $9.99 for a uh, commercial free membership. So you can go ahead and you can choose that. And seasons one through five is streaming on Freebie. Where you can also watch the original Night Court if you're interested. Okay, so before I get started with this really crazy episode, you guys, I apologize for not posting an episode until now. I know that it is literally like the second week in February and Valentine's Day has already gone by and I have not posted an episode. Let me explain why. The weather has been absolutely freaking ridiculous here in Kentucky. This week alone which was the week of Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Hope you had a good Valentine's Day. Um, If you have somebody, and if you're single like me, and you just kind of did your own thing, that's cool too. But anyway, so down here in Kentucky, the weather has been up and down. To give you an example, on Thursday, it was 70 degrees. It felt like summer and literally last night it snowed and it is now like really freaking cold so i honestly don't get it 
And I live upstairs, so the weather affects me differently than most people because I can feel the different weather way up here than everybody else, and it gets me in bad moods, and it's hard to get into the mood to record. But tonight I'm feeling pretty good, so I figured I'd go ahead and record an episode. The internet has been messing up. Also, my laptop just recently updated and wouldn't let me do anything for like three days, so it's like that on top of everything else. It's just been one thing and another, but I promise I'm still committed to Murder, She Wrote. I mean, I got 12 seasons to do, but I'm on the second disc of season four, um, which is, this is the first episode on the second disc of season four. So there you go. We, we were, we got that going on. And honestly, some, some crazy things have been going on in the world. Like, before we start this uh, episode, um, Roquel Welch just recently passed away. May she rest in peace. My thoughts and prayers go out to all the people affected in Siberia, in Turkey, over the horrible earthquake where it's up to 3,000 people have died, the train derailments that are going on. And I know that the world is crazy right now and it might be hard to find the goodness in it or the joy in it, but there is. Um, and I hope I bring you just a little bit of joy here. I also hope that Tyree Nichols um, gets the justice he deserves because he did not deserve to get beat up by police in Memphis, Tennessee for no reason at all from what I can tell from the video. I hope that he gets the justice that he deserves. Uh, his family gets the justice that they deserve. All right. And I also want to apologize to my last episode because I was uh, really quick to, to end it, even though I was talking about, about Tyree and also Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, I was losing my voice because I'd been recording like abundance abundance of hours and my laptop was on the verge of dying so I had to sh I had to charge it so I apologize but it's fully charged now and we're gonna get through this this crazy episode so so let's get into this episode and maybe I'll bring you some joy but I gotta tell you you guys I did not like this one I honestly did not it it made no sense to me and the whole plot is just kind of weird. But the whole plot is heavily influenced by Shakespeare's Macbeth. Um, and I do not, like, I probably read Macbeth in high school because I took lots of drama classes because I love, you know, acting and theater and all that. But I don't think I attained any of the, any of the knowledge that I'm supposed to obtain from Macbeth. But, but, but uh, some of the characters are named after characters in the play. Don't ask me which ones. I have no idea. Well, I do know one, but we'll get there. But anyway, uh, the only two Shakespeare, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare plays that I, I know and know by heart is <clears throat> Romeo and Juliet and... Uh, a Midsummer's Night's Dream because I did a production of it in high school 
uh, a Midsummer's Night's Dream. And I have a funny story attached to that. And I don't know if I shared this in Sing a Song of Murder, and if I did, I'm sorry. But it's worth repeating. We need a funny story right now. So everybody knows that A Midsummer's Night's Dream is basically the play where the lovers fall in love for with the wrong people due to some sort of love potion or some sort of magic or something going on. I could not really explain it to you to, to tell you the honest to God truth, but, but it's a funny play in some parts are, are really funny. But anyway, my character was snug the joiner. This is really hard to explain as well, but, um, and, and Shakespeare is very confusing to me. I think it's because of my ADHD. I'm not entirely sure, but it's, it's hard to obtain and to understand, at least for me. But anyway, um, so my character was Snug the Joiner, which was the actor within, that was an actor in A Midsummer's Night's Dream, but was doing a play within a Midsummer's Night's Dream, like a play within a play. I know, it's so freaking confusing. I, I'm trying not to confuse you. But anyway, so I played this this character because we are doing a play for the royal people, for the couples that have accidentally fallen in love. And one of our actors wears a donkey's head. <laughs> and... I think a fairy falls in love with him. It was very confusing, let me tell you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I play Snug the Joiner, who is going to play a lion in the play within a play. And I had this three-paged monologue that I had to explain to the audience, the royals, and the real audience that was watching the play. That basically me and my fellow actors are just acting. We're not animals. We're human beings. Blah, blah, blah. Eventually they cut that part because it was like way too long and I couldn't get through it. Because like you really like a lot of information is in that one monologue where I'm explaining each actor's part. And that we're trying to act. We're not actually animals. It, it was so bizarre. So they cut that part and they wanted me to just talk about my character, myself, you know. So we did like an afternoon matinee show. We did one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one at night over the course of one weekend. And then after Sunday, it was over. Thank God. Because doing Shakespeare is stressful. I don't know about any of the rest of you out there. So I'm up on stage, I'm wearing this lion's head, and I'm wearing these long, this long sleeve clothes, very hot pants, and the stage lights are doing their thing, and I'm sweating profusely. I have to get up there and I have to say this monologue. And doing monologues is kind of like doing a podcast. I mean, you, you pretty much have to... Uh, talk and talk and talk and talk and eventually your your mouth gets dry and you have to get something to drink but you can't do that on stage so just know that so i'm doing my monologue i'm reaching a fever pitch and after my monologue is supposed to be ended 
the royal characters are supposed to come on stage and they're on my stage when my play is about to start. So I'm supposed to be on the side of the stage and then jump up, scare them, and they're supposed to catch me and the lights go out and the act is over. So remember that. So I'm doing my monologue and I'm reaching a fever pitch and everything's going really well. The audience is really engrossed even though they haven't been laughing at the parts they're supposed to be laughing at. And they, there was even one guy that was asleep. Don't blame him. And I'm reaching a fever pitch with my monologue. I'm almost to the end. And then the thing happens where every performer dreads you start coughing. And like I said, unlike this where I can pause and get something and go on, I can't. you can't do that on stage. And unlike a movie or a TV show, you can't be like, okay, we'll cut that and we'll go back to it later. You can start over. You can't do that on stage. There's a thing called the show must go on despite whatever it is that is going on on stage. So, you know, when this happens, you're supposed to do it as delicately as possible. Try to stop yourself and continue with the scene. You're not supposed to focus on your cough. Unfortunately, I was focused on my cough. So all of my monologue went out of my head for like a second or two. And I forgot where I was. I eventually stopped coughing. And because I had this huge coughing fit, I was like, I have to start over because I have no idea where I was. So I literally start the whole monologue over again, go through the whole entire thing again. And uh, there was this very serious girl in the cast. I won't say her name. But she was really serious about Shakespeare and she was so mad that I had messed up the entrance. Because after my monologue, I'm supposed to hop off the stage and wait on the little stairs that was right there and then pop out by a certain line. And because I had to do my monologue over again, they had to wait. I mean, it's not like they were helping me from the wings when I were forgetting the, the lines or whatever. So eventually they come out on stage and they're talking, they're doing their little monologues, and she's supposed to say some, some line, I can't remember what it was, and I'm supposed to jump up and yell roar, and they're supposed to catch me. Well, the stage goes quiet. They walked off the stage. So they know that they can't like put the lights down until I do something because I'm stuck right there. So I'm thinking, okay, no one's talking. So I'll just go ahead and jump because they're waiting for me. So I get, I go ahead and I jump two feet in the air from the side of the stage to the center of the stage. There is no one there to catch me. And guess what happens? I fall flat on my stomach. I yell roar, jump two feet in the air, fall flat on my stomach. There's no one there to catch me. And the audience starts laughing hysterically and clapping. And I was the only one that got a laugh and a clap that whole entire day. Yay me. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that story. I really miss theater. I really miss doing theater in high school. All right. So we've talked a lot about some stuff. So we need to talk about this episode of Murder, She Wrote. And I'll tell you as we go along why I'm not a big fan of this one.
I mean, I normally find something to like about it, but there's only one part I liked, and that was just a tiny little part, and then the rest of it was just really confusing. So we start off this episode with Mr. and Mrs. McCormick. I know, like the spice. They are getting a psychic reading from a psychic. He has Mr. McCormick's watch. Um, Mr. McCormick is played by Richard Brennan, who is is really famous for being in West Side Story in 1961. Maria, 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 Maria. You know, West Side Story. So anyway, and also being in the first adaptation of The Diary of Anne Frank, he played Peter. So he is back after being in, I believe, The Days Drindle Down. So he plays Mr. McCormick. So we have a repeat guest star, and as far as I know, he's the only one. But don't quote me. Anyway, so the psychic is holding his watch, and he says, I see that you will get everything that your heart desires, but beware there is a woman with a strong will and an answer for everything. So Mr. McCormick pays him for his time, and he says, thank you for coming by, goodbye. And he tells his wife, this is, the dude is a crock. There is no way that this is true. I'm not going to get everything I want. And she says, oh, yes, you will, darling. I know that you will. This is going to work out, but who could be the woman with the strong will and the answer for everything? And he says, well, maybe it's that Anne Hathaway person, you know, at the office. And I'm thinking, what? Anne Hathaway? And of course, my mind goes to Anne Hathaway, Princess Diaries, Princess Diaries 2, you know, freaking amazing actress, one of my all-time favorite actresses. But no... It's a character in this episode, and apparently Anne Hathaway is a character in Macbeth, so apparently her mother loved Macbeth. I, I, I don't know. But I loved Anne Hathaway in Les Mis. I dreamed a dream of time gone by. I just love that. But anyway, so... <laughs> so just as he's like, Telling his, telling his wife, you know, this is not going to happen. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't know why, why you're insisting. This is just not going to happen. Duncan's not going to give me any kind of position. The phone rings and it's his boss inviting him for a weekend give a, get a, getaway at his estate. And he's like, oh, I don't know if we can make it. And his wife is like, say yes, say yes. Like in the background, you know how annoying sometimes people can be when they, when they want something. And finally he's like, okay, I think we, okay, I think we can make it. And so he gets off the phone and she's like, see, the psychic was right. It is going to happen. What other reason would he have to invite us to the uh, to his house for the weekend? He wants to appoint you as CEO of the company. She says, but I still wonder who is that woman 
who has the strong will and an answer for everything. And this is the part I loved. And it cut to Jessica. I laughed so hard. I had tears in my eyes. Because it was so perfect. And it was the only thing in the episode I liked. So Jessica is on the board of directors for this company. Well, I do not know what the name of it is. Hold on. Let's see if we can find out on IMDb. Maybe it'll maybe it'll tell me. Uh, let's see. Because the m bigger one says, as company board member, Jessica is among old Chairman Duncan and Linda Barrett's weekend guests who hear the rumors of a takeover by Spruce Osborne or resignation are false. Would-be successor Morgan McCormick's wife, Virginia, decide it's time to hurry nature by doctoring his nightly brandy with extra heart medication. He is found dead in his hot tub with a TV, but it is deemed an accident, and the TV was knocked into the tub when he had a heart attack. See, it was a bathtub. It was not a hot tub. Jessica refuses rushing to cast the decided vote for Morgan or Tom Dunton. She works with Dr. Chadsworth that four pills are missing as well as the brandy glass, which is full when the course was discovered, but the autopsy finds no overdose. So no, I don't know the name of this company. It's, it's like, it's not, It's not said what exactly the name of the company is. So Jessica is on the board of directors for this company. Yep, just randomly put there. No explanation how this came to be. But apparently her motivation for being on the board of directors for this company is there are paper mills owned by this company in Cabot Cove that she wants to keep in business. And she's trying to persuade Duncan to keep the paper mills open because he said something about closing them. And that's really never discussed. I mean, Jessica tries to discuss it with him, but he says he's too busy and it does not have time because his guests are coming. And he's happy that she decided to join his guests. So joining the guests are the McCormicks and the Duntons, Tom and his wife, I know, sorry, Kate, have joined him along with Spruce Osborne, who wants to take over his company, and Mr. Osborne's girlfriend, Serena, played by Janelle Harrison. Now, Janelle Harrison played the role of Cindy Snow on Three's Company, so now that makes three people from Three's Company who have guest starred on this show. The first was, of course, Mr. Roper in kind of like a shocking role, a very serious role, and Priscilla Barnes in the same episode, Dead Heat. Priscilla Barnes played Terry. She eventually replaced Janelle Harrison on Three's Company because the character was not very well received by audiences and they slowly started to phase her character out. But what most people don't know, and I'm going to do a little trivia here about Three's Company because it's another show that I love, and maybe you might find this interesting. Um, 
So what most people don't know, and I know this from the E! True Hollywood story, is Suzanne Summers left the show. It's a very controversial thing. I'm not even going to try to explain that to you. You all can just look that up. But uh, Janelle Harrison did not ha- had little to no acting experience when joining the cast of Three's Company. And she was to replace Suzanne Summers, and she played Cindy Snow, Suzanne Summers' character's cousin. She was supposed to be like the ditzy blonde, but she came across as more klutzy than ditzy. Which, I think that cliche is kind of terrible anyway in itself. I mean, I've known plenty of blondes in my life that are very, very smart. I just don't get, I don't get why people always think that blonde women are dumb. It's kind of wrong. But anyway, so she joined the cast after Suzanne Summers left, but the character was not very well received. So the writers realized they had to bring in someone new. So they brought in Priscilla Barnes and Three's Company kind of had this counterbalance where you had Janet, the level header, who was always getting Jack and, and Chrissy out of jams. And Chrissy was not always the brightest bulb in the pack. And Jack was always getting them into schemes and misunderstandings and such. And Janet was the one that kept it all together. And Cindy was kind of ditzy as well and klutzy and all that. So when they brought in Priscilla Barnes, Priscilla Barnes's character is more like Janet. So you have two Janets instead of, uh, you know, a dumb character to foil the plan. And how they introduced her character was they had her play a nurse that gives Jack a tetanus shot in his butt and then she becomes their roommate and it just did not work and she knew herself priscilla barnes knew herself this was not going to work and she went to the producers and said i don't want to do this and they forced her to stay on the show for the next two years um because that was season seven and eight and janelle harrison you know had a great relationship with uh with uh john Ritter and Joyce DeWitt, but she never felt welcome, you know, being on there. I think that's what she said in the true Hollywood story. And, you know, I, I hope that we get to see John Ritter in a Murder, She Wrote episode. That would be really great. Um, I know we're not going to see Joyce DeWitt in one because after Three's Company ended, she kind of decided to just continue with theater because she did not like the way that that her and Priscilla Barnes was treated in the last two years of Three's Company. They literally decided to do Three's a Crowd, and they did not tell them. And they instead of giving her character sort of a really nice send-off or Priscilla Barnes's character, they used the last three episodes of Three's Company to basically establish the spin-off Three's a Crowd, which would end up failing miserably because it was it was not good in my opinion, so she ended up doing theater. So we won't see her in an episode of Murder, She Wrote at all. But it's nice to see Janelle here, and she seems to be enjoying herself in this episode, and I know I'm talking about another thing that's not Murder, She Wrote. But hey, the more you know, right? Can't walk away from this podcast saying I didn't teach you nothing. All right, so they're all there for this weekend. 
And this made no sense to me. There is no scene with them having dinner. But later, like, after, you know, Jessica talks to Duncan and Linda, they've already had dinner, and now we're on the lanai. It's like the backyard. That's what I think of because of the Golden Girls lanai. But anyway, so they're all sitting there wondering secretly, why are we here? This doesn't make any sense. So then Duncan says this exact same thing. He goes, I know that you all are sitting around here drinking drinks, you know, wondering why did I invite you here? Well, it's very important. And I'm going to tell you, there have been rumors of my retirement. And I can tell you they've been greatly exaggerated. I intend to run this company until my dying day. And that's all I wanted to tell you. And you all are going to spend the night. Your rooms are ready for you. So let's turn, tune in, tune in, turn in to bed, everyone. And when he says this, every single person except for Mr. Osborne and, Sir, and Selena, who have no personal stakes whatsoever in this, literally look as if he has told them the worst news. And he goes, wow. He, and he picks up on this. And he goes, huh, you all are, act, are acting as if you want me to die. And everybody is quick to be like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want you to die. You're, you're awesome, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay, well, let's all go to bed. And it's like, why? You could have told them that over the phone. And also, why do they have to stay at your house? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. Like, seriously, does not make any sense at all. So, Mrs. Dunton, when Duncan, I'm so sorry, it's going to be so hard. Dunton, Duncan, my goodness. When, when Duncan starts to go up the stairs, Mrs. Dunton... Dunton goes after him and she says I'm so happy you're not retiring um but my husband is a really great worker and and uh he'll be willing to do anything to help you and he goes Mrs. Dun Mrs. Dunton this is not nor the time nor the place for us to have this discussion I want to go to bed have a great and pleasant night everyone bye um so the McCormicks are really upset about this. So we cut to them in their bedroom and she's like, damn, I thought that you were going to get that promotion. He said, well, there's no way of that happening now. And she goes, well, what about this? She goes, we can make that prediction from the psychic come true ourselves. Just push fate along a little bit more. She says, why don't we drug his brandy? And I'm like, wow, you are literally staying in this man's house and you're plotting to murder him. And I want to establish something here. It's like we don't have enough scenes with Dunton to get the feeling that he is bad boss equals death. I don't understand why everyone wants to kill him to get control of this company. So... Duncan's ritual every night before he goes to bed is to 
relax in his hot tub. Which makes sense now to me because I thought it was a bathtub and it didn't look like a bathtub because it was it was like a square and it was like in the ground versus a bathtub is not in the ground. So that makes sense now. Is like watching this stock exchange on the TV while hanging out in the hot tub. So he goes and he does that. And eventually, you know, we have that scene with the McCormicks. And of course, at first, Mr. McCormick is like, oh, no, this is not a good idea. Why are you suggesting this? This is horrible. And eventually he winds up to the idea and says, okay, why not? And it's like, really, dude? You're going to murder someone to be a CEO at a company knowing that the only reason you got there was because you murdered someone? Would it really be worth it? I don't think so. So at some point during the night, we cut to Jessica, who is reading a book and the lights flicker off and on. She thinks nothing of it, decides it's time to turn in and goes to bed. The next morning, we hear a blood-curling scream, and everyone comes barreling out of their rooms in their robes, and of course their hair looks absolutely perfect. Don't you hate that on television shows and soap operas and such, when it's supposed to be the morning and they get up and their hair is already done? I mean, I've gotten up and my hair has looked wild and crazy, like I stuck my hand in a... In, like I stuck my finger in a light socket or something. But of course on TV, their hair is already nice and looks perfect, just like when they went to bed. So everybody runs to find out what's going on. Linda's the one who's screaming, and it turns out, da-da-da-da-da, Duncan is dead. Someone, or I mean not someone, but it appears he was accidentally electrocuted with his TV in the bath, in, in the hot tub. And guys... Just like in the previous episode, Old Habits Die Hard, there is no police in this episode. No policeman, no detective, no one helps Jessica solve this crime except for the doctor. And like I said, his name is Dr. Uh, what did they say? It's such a weird name. Dr. Da, 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 da. Dr. Chadsworth. So weird. Almost like Clocksworth. Foreshadowing. <laughs> no. There's no way they could have known she was going to be on Beauty and the Beast. But anyway. <laughs> so the doctor comes right away. And Jessica, Jessica, before she goes into the bathroom, notices the brandy glass on Duncan's nightstand. And then when she goes back into the room, she notices it's gone. So she thinks automatically that's suspicious. And she honestly thinks that it's not that simple that he got electrocuted in the hot tub. So the next day, or later that same day, they decide to call an emergency board meeting. I don't know if this is standard. I have no idea how, the, how businesses like this work. But they call an emergency board meeting to appoint a new CEO for this company. The man is literally not cold and has not even been buried yet. And they're doing this like right away. So Jessica doesn't really understand what's going on. 
and they have to cast their vote. Well, a random extra suggests Mr. Dunton. And then, of course, Mr. McCormick nominates himself. And Hathaway is finally introduced. She doesn't do much in the episode. She's, aside from Jessica, the only other female board member. Then we get introduced to this other guy who's working for Mr. Osborne. Um, I think his name is QL Fliberson, but it doesn't really matter because this whole plot of Mr. Osborne wanting to buy the company from Duncan is abruptly dropped and it makes absolutely no sense, but I'm going to get there. So, Jessica is unsure what to do. Everyone is arguing about what would be the right thing. And they eventually end up staying at this office all night long. Eventually, at some point, they break for dinner and they get sandwiches. And Mr. Dunton tells Jessica that he doesn't really want to be the CEO. He is comfortable but yeah, he tells Jessica, he's like, I really don't want to be the CEO. I like my job the way it is. Remember this. And I don't, I don't really want to be, you know, the CEO. And uh, Jessica overhears Anne Hathaway, you know, saying that she wants to be the CEO and she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't want Mr. McCormick to get it. Jessica wanders in. Virtually what you need to know is nothing happens with this subplot. Um, because Anne Hathaway was not even at the weekend getaway thing. And she doesn't seem to be all that upset about Duncan's death either. She's just a red herring. Anyway, so at one point Jessica goes to get her sandwich in Duncan's office and she discovers the other board member guy in there talking to Mr. Osborne. Again, it goes nowhere. We'll get there. So eventually they go back in, they call the meeting to order and they unanimously, unanimously decide to vote for Mr. McCormick as the new CEO. So he literally calls Mrs. McCormick from his office and says, we did it. I am sitting in my new office. So Jessica is beyond suspicious of this. She goes to Mr. McCormick and, and basically starts talking to him, like thinking that Duncan has died under mysterious circumstances. He asks, she asks him if she knows if Duncan was known for going like drinking brandy before he went to bed. And he says, I don't know. Why are you bringing this up? And she says, I don't know. Just curious. And he says, well, Mrs. Fletcher, if you want to talk about those paper mills, I'd like to talk about those a little bit later. And she goes, no, not just now. I'm just concerned about Duncan. And he says, well, now that I'm running this company, it's going to be great. And she said, I thought that you were the temporary CEO. So eventually we cut back to the McCormicks and they are like freaked out and 
Mr. McCormick is like, oh my God, I think she knows that I switched the brandy glass. She's totally onto us. And Mrs. McCormick is like, oh no, she couldn't possibly know. And we didn't kill him. He didn't drink it. So that it's not murder. And also I forgot a part. Serena um, wants to get into the bathroom after they discover Duncan's body and she immediately takes off her bracelet that she's wearing. This is about to come into play. So Jessica talks to Dr. Chadsworth and Dr. Chadsworth says that he died of ex, ex like of being electrocuted. And she says, well, you need to do like a little bit, dive in a little bit further because maybe just maybe his, maybe he was drugged with his, and she was like, I think with maybe his heart medication. She said, the bathroom's been unsealed by the police. Let's go up there. So they go up to Duncan's bathroom. And this is when Jessica discovers a, a gold charm. And she puts two and two together of what Selena want, wanting, that it's, that it's Selena's. But they notice that there are four pills missing from Duncan's heart medication bottle because he just had the prescription filled and he's supposed to take one each day. So there should not be four pills missing. So Dr. Chadsworth agrees to do a test to see if, in fact, he has been drugged. Meanwhile, they are getting Duncan's funeral in order and Mrs. Dunton is there to help Linda. So, eventually, Jessica notices that Selena is going upstairs to the bathroom. Jessica manages to beat her to the bathroom, comes out of, a, of another door and says, looking for this? And she says, yes, I was, but I didn't kill him. He was alive when I left. Mr. Osborne asked me to go over to see him, to see if he would spill his plans on his plans for the company. So Jessica decides to leave and go talk to Mr. Osborne, who basically tells her that the company is dead and he doesn't want it no more and that he wouldn't be dumb enough to kill someone for a company. So that's that. All's well that ends well. It's such a dumb subplot. So Jessica goes back to um, Duncan's house and she... And Mr. Chadsworth decide to have their conversation of thinking that Duncan was murdered literally with an earshot of everyone. And Mrs. Dunton overhears this and drops a vase of flowers. She says, oh no, I can't believe that somebody might have murdered him. And Jessica asks Linda if she knew that Selena was in Duncan's bathroom before his death. And Linda says no, but it doesn't surprise her because her husband was kind of like that. But nothing was ever serious as he didn't cheat on her. It was really weird, that exchange. So at this point, Jessica is stumped and she's not sure. But then, so then she notices that the McCormicks are in another room and she decides to go talk to them. Or first she talks to Mrs. Dunton and, and and she says, actually, now that you've mentioned it, I thought when I was coming downstairs to get some warm milk because I couldn't sleep, 
I thought I did hear Selena in the bathroom with Dunton. Jessica says, okay. And then she notices that the McCormick's are there and she goes into this other room with them and she confronts them about the brandy glass because she, you know, realizes that the four pills that are missing from Dunton, from Duncan's, so sorry, Duncan, um, pill bottle obviously was in the brandy, but he didn't drink it. And so they had to have taken the brandy glass away. And the only other person that mentioned the brandy glass was the McCormick's. So Jessica puts two and two together and she's like, you obviously did that. And at one point, Mrs. McCormick is like, I will sue you for libel. But according to IMDb, this is a goof because if you sue someone, if you say you're going to do a lawsuit for Lyle due to something Jessica said, however, libel is for the written word. Slander is for the spoken rule. So thank you for that, whoever put that on there, because I did not know that. It's nice to know. You learn something new every day. But anyway, eventually Mrs. McCormick breaks down and she's like, so you're the woman the psychic warned us about with a strong will and an answer for everything. Yes, I came up with the idea to basically poison him, to kill him so that my husband could get the CEO position. But he didn't drink the glass, so no harm done. But they, they were both conspiring to commit murder, so they get arrested. I'm assuming off screen. So at this point, Jessica is stumped, but then she remembers what Mrs. Dunton said, and it all comes together. The killer is none other than Mrs. Dunton. Here's the problem that I have with this reveal. She's barely, Mr. and Mrs. Dunton are barely in any scenes. Mr. Dunton basically tells Jessica I don't want to be the CEO of this company. I like where I am. I don't want that much responsibility. I enjoy what I'm doing. There is no scenes between him and his wife that establishes that he wants the CEO position or that he wants her to advocate for him. And this is her explanation as to why she killed Duncan. She claims she went into the bathroom, you know, trying to talk her husband up, trying to get Dunton to give him a raise or give him some more work because he's apparently worked there the longest. And he refused to listen to her, told her to adjust the picture on the TV and to leave. She saw her golden opportunity because he was laughing and making fun of her husband. So she manages to pick up the TV and throw it into the water. And it electrocutes him and he dies. And she says, I don't regret doing it because he was a horrible man who did nothing but torture people. And promised them things that he never intended to keep. And I'm like, we did not see any any scenes to provide this. 
And I noticed, because I watched this twice, that in the, in the, when they discovered the body the first time, the TV stand is literally next to the door when they walk in. In the flashback establishing how she killed him, the TV's actually in front of him, away from the door. So, I don't know if that was a continuity error, and they just forgot where they had the TV stand, and they just sort of put it there, or she moved it. It actually looked in the scene like the actress was having a hard time picking up the TV. And I really just don't understand this, because it's like, again, why would you kill your boss to get his position? And be able to live with yourself knowing that that's what you did to get it. I don't know. But anyway, all's well that ends well. Mrs. Dunton gets arrested for murder. Mr. McCormick gets arrested for attempted murder and has to step down as CEO. Mr. Dunton uh, takes his hat out of the ring because his wife has been indicted for murder of his boss. So the logical next person to take over is Anne Hathaway. Yay! Miracles happen once in a while. If you believe. <laughs> Good joke, huh? And she promises that the paper mill <laughs> mills are going to stay open in Cabot Cove. And that's the end of the episode. And I honestly do not understand this episode. And this episode was released on October 25th. Like literally a couple of days before Halloween. This is the episode you guys put on before Halloween. This is not a scary episode. And not even Angela Lansbury can save this one. Like, I'm sorry, there's 12 seasons. I'm not going to like every single episode, you guys. And I wanted to like like this one. And the only funny moment was it cutting to Jessica when they wondered who the strong-willed woman was with an answer for everything. So... All right, let's go over the guest stars and see if any of them, aside from Richard Brenham, guest starred again on here. And this was apparently the last acting role for for Cardinal Wilde, who played our murder victim. So I know for a fact that he will not be returning in any other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. But let's see if we got any more trivia here. Okay, guest star Joanna Barnes had a recurring role in the series The Trials of O'Brien, never heard of that, which had given Angela Lansbury one of her own rare television guest star gigs. However, Barnes was evidently not featured in that episode. Uh, the Trials of O'Brien, Leave It to Me, 1965. Okay, no wonder I haven't heard of it. Lansbury and Barnes are also connected via her headlining the Broadway musical Mame and Barnes being afforded one of the best remembered roles as Gloria in the original Anti-Mame, which was the filmation of Mame's musical um, stage play, the source play of Mame the Musical. But it says, not only is the title of Kofa Macbeth, the victim's names are the same, and the introductory scene in Red Herring Suspect's last name, McCormick, is close to that of that of Macbeth's culprit's names. Further, 
Another character, Anne Hathaway, is the name of Shakespeare's wife. Okay. So, yes, it would have made so much more sense to me. Okay. So much more sense to me if the McCormicks killed him. It would have made more sense. All right. Anyway, so first guest star, Joanna Barnes as Duncan's wife. Oh, she died last year at the age of 87. I didn't know that. But then again, she died around the same time my father did, so I probably wasn't paying attention around that time. She's known for, of course, Auntie Mame in 1958, The Parent Trap in 1998, Spartacus 1960, and The Parent Trap 1961. Oh, so she played the original villain in The Original Parent Trap, and then played the mother of the new villain in the remake. Clever, Disney, clever. Last known credit was in a TV series in 2000 called Then Came You. She was in 100 different credits. Um, she was in Cheers, Dolly's TV show. This is her only episode of Murder, she wrote. She was in Benson, Trapper, John, M.D., Remington Steele, Heart to Heart, Barney Miller, Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, um, The Betty White Show, Executive Suites, Quincy M.E., SWAT, Planet of the Apes cartoon series, or television series, not sure, The New Perry Mason, Love American Style, Hawaii Five O. Nanny and the Professor, uh, which Juliet Mills was in. Uh, the Trials of O'Brien, yeah, she was in 13 episodes of that. I've never seen that show. I've never heard of that. The Farmer's Daughter, 77 Sunset Strip, Beverly Hillbillies, Empire 1963. Oh, there was another Empire show. Bachelor Father... The Untouchables original TV show. Spartacus movie. Lots of movies from MGM days. And let's see. Her first role was in 1956 in Tales of the 77th uh, something Lancers. And she was in 100 different things from 1956 to 2000, so she had a long career. You go, girl. Didn't get much to do in this episode. Okay, and Richard Brennan, let's see if this is his last episode of Murder, She Wrote. He is still with us. Oh, he his birthday will be on February 20th. Happy birthday, sir. Hope it's a good one. He's known for West Side Story, Twin Peaks, The Interview, 1973, The Longest Day, 1962. Last known credit was in 2017 and the new Twin Peaks. And he has been in a hun uh, 64 different projects. Sorry, it didn't load right away. Okay, so this was his 
Yes, the first episode he appeared in was The Days Drindle Down. This is his second appearance. He will make another appearance in season 8, 9, 10, and 12. So I'll remember that. Really awesome actor. Absolutely love him. He did a good job in this in this episode. Um Lynn Carlin played Nicole. Oh, Nicole was was uh the secretary person. I forgot to mention her. I'm so sorry. She was in one scene and it completely slipped my mind. But let's see. She's still with us. She just had her birthday on January 31st. Happy belated birthday. She is known for Faces, 1968. Battle Beyond the Stars, 1980. Tick, 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 1970. And Taking Off, 1971. She's in, she was in 60 different projects. And her last known credit is uh, in 2021 in Consequences. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, she was in Trapper John, M.D. as well. Lou Grant. Mrs. Columbo. Charlie's Angels. Barnaby Jones. The Incredible Hulk. The Bionic Woman. Rich Man, Poor Man, Book Two. Paper Moon. TV show. Lots of TV movies. Hawaii Five-O. Medical Center. The Brave Bold Ones. The New Doctors. Silent Night. Lonely Night. And her first credit was in 1968 in Faces. Cool. Good for you. Even though you were in one small scene. Uh, our murderer was played by Nancy, uh, D-U-S-S-A-U-L-T. Cannot pronounce her last name, but she looked familiar to me. So let's see if I've seen her in anything. She's still with us. She is known for The In-Laws, 1979, The Nurse, 1997, Alias, 2001, in Too Close for Comfort. Ah, yes, that's what I know her from. I've seen that in reruns on uh, TV, Antenna TV. She's in 35 different projects. Her last known credit is in 2016 in the final show. She was in Providence, Judging Amy, Family Law. The Nurse, I think, was a TV movie. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Dream On. Mad About You. She does a lot of cartoon voice work. She kind of has a cartoon voice. Full House. Hotel. This is her only episode of Murder, she wrote. The Love Boat. Sweepstakes, Barney Miller. And her first known credit was in 1968. Good for you. But I knew I saw her from somewhere. I just couldn't remember where. And of course we have Janelle Harrison. Who played Serena. She's still with us. She's known for, of course, Three's Company for 42 episodes. Fist of Iron, 1995. 
Dallas in 70 episodes of that, and the new Mike Hammer in two episodes of that. I didn't know she was on Dallas. Oh, that would be so cool to see that. Uh, last known credits in 2002 in The Power. Yeah, it was a TV movie. In 20, She's been in 25 different uh, projects, including in an episode of that 70s show. Um, they came from outer space. Ha! <laughs> Oh, this is the only episode of Murder, she wrote. She was also on Hotel. I would love to see that show. I wish they'd put it on streaming. So many people guest starred on it. I would love to see it. And Simon and Simon as well. I'd love to see Simon and Simon. Um, Fantasy Island. And her first credited role was in 1978 as a cheerleader in the TV show Chips. She's a good actress. She she needs to be in more things. Uh, Richard Jekyll played Dr. Chadsworth. He died in 1997 at the age of 70. He's known for Starman, 1984, The Dirty Dozen, 1967, Airplane, the sequel, 1982, and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, 1973. Last known credit is being in 28 episodes of Baywatch as Ben Edwards. He was in 193 different projects. Okay. And this is his only episode of Murder, she wrote. He was in a lot of Dirty Dozen movies. Uh, the Love Boat. Dallas in two episodes of that. Fantasy Island. King's Crossing. Little House on the Prairie in three episodes, but I don't remember him in that. Charlie's Angels. Herbie Goes Bananas. Lou Grant. Continental. It was a miniseries. Um, the Magical World of Disney. Grizzly, that movie scared me as a kid. Walking Tall Part 2, Gunsmoke. Firehouse, oh that's a movie. Mission Impossible, the original. Bonanza, The Wild Wild West TV show, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Outer Limits. Lots of good old television shows. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Let's see what was his first ever credited role. Boy, there's a lot of good... He was in a lot of stuff. You go, sir. First uh, credited role in Wing of Prayer in 1944 and something in 1943 that I can't pronounce. All right. You go, sir. You helped Jessica solve that crime. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> was played by Andrea. I cannot pronounce her last name. It's so hard to say that. I have no idea. But she's still with us. She's known for The Front, 1976, The Concord Airport, 79, 1979, Violent Buzzsaw, 2019, and Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Planet, 1983 in 3D. 
last known credits in 2019 in something called Baskets in six episodes. Never heard of it. She was in General Hospital, Strong Medicine, Sybil. I love Sybil. Um, with Sybil Shepherd. Uh, this is her only episode of Murder She Wrote. She was in uh, 50 different projects. Um, she was in The Stuff, which is supposed to be like a cult classic movie. Oh, Forbidden Zone, not Planet. Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, Scarecrow, and Mrs. King would love to see that one too. Wish they put that on streaming. Taxi, Voyagers, Magnum P.I., Hill Street Blues, Kojak, Beretta, Medical Center, and the first thing that she was in was in 1972 in a TV show called You Are There, where she played Joan of Arc. Okay. Um, Sandy McPeak played Spruce Osborne, who unfortunately didn't get much to do. Um, he died in 1997 at the age of 61. He's known for Kelly's Heroes, 1970, Patton, 1970, Continental miniseries, and Batman, the original show, in two episodes. He was in 105 different projects. Last known credit, Winoka Road in five episodes in 1994. Before that, L.A. Law, Quantum Leap. I love the original Quantum Leap. And let's see. This is his first episode. No. Oh, he was in Crossed Up. Really? Huh. I don't remember. But he will appear in one more episode of Murder, She Wrote, in Season 6. Okay, then. So sorry, guys. I missed that. Um, so we'll go over more of his guest starring roles then. It was a small role. I didn't really get a chance to look at him. Joanna uh, Pet-P-E-T-T-E-T. -E okay. She's still with us. She's known for Casino Royale, 1967. Pioneer Woman, 1973. Black Commando, 1982. And Charlie's Angels, 1980, in one episode. Last known credit in 1990, Terror in Paradise. She was in 63 different projects. This is her only episode of Murder, she wrote. She was also on Hotel in two episodes. Um, Knight Rider, The Yellow Rose, Knott's Landing, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat. Aloha Paradise, Charlie's Angels. Uh, lots of TV movies. A Cry in the Wilderness. Oh. Maybe that's where I saw her from. Maybe in one of these TV movies. I don't know. But her first credited role was Route 66 TV series in 1964. 
You go, madam. Tom Dunton was played by Lawrence Pressman. He's still with us. He is known for 9 to 5, 1980. Hmm, I've seen that movie multiple times and I don't remember him being in it. American Pie, 1999, same thing. Shaft, 1971, and Dark Angel, two episodes in 2001. Last known credit, he's been in 178 projects. He has two upcoming. He's been in, in the TV show Reboot. Um, that's on Netflix that they just canceled. He was in the new Hawaii 50911, Modern Family, Heart of Dixie. So this dude's been acting for a long time. And he's still acting now. That's awesome. This is probably his only episode of Murder She Wrote. He was in Criminal Minds, Saving Grace, The Mentalist, Boston Legal, Ghost Whisper, Cold Case, General Hospital for 12 episodes. Crossing Jordan, Bones, Medium, uh, Murder Without Conviction, Gilmore Girls, Judging Amy, Without a Trace, Dr. Doolittle 2, Diagnosis Murder, The X-Files, The West Wing, Dawson's Creek. Oh, Mighty Joe Young. I love that movie. Maybe that's what I saw him in. Chicago Hope, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Dangerous Minds, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, All My Children in 1996, Law and Order, three episodes of the original, NYPD Blue. Oh. Okay. Oh, he played the murderer in My Johnny Lies Over the Ocean. How did I forget that? Well, I mean, it was in season one. I'm now in season four. Um, and he will make another guest appearance in season 10. All right. It'll take us forever to get there. <laughs> the uh, board member that had no purpose was played by Will or played by Ray. Watson. He died in 2001 at the age of 86. And he is known for Popeye 1980, The Sting 1973, Fast Times at Ridgemont High 1982, and Paint Your Wagon, 1969. And I think he was also in um, because there's a picture and it looks familiar from a movie, but I can't. But he was in Seventh Heaven, Touched by an Angel, Allie McBeal. He was in 156 different credits. Last known credit is Early Bird Special in 2001. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman as well. Picket Fences. Interesting and weird show, but good show. Good show. Oh, he was in the TV miniseries The Stand, based on Stephen King's book of the same name. Love that. Have that on DVD. 
Um, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, L.A. Law. Paradise. I know my first name is Steven. That was so sad. Friday the 13th, the series, The Law and Harry McGraw. This is the only episode of Murder She Wrote. Simon and Simon, the Smurfs. I love the Smurfs. Uh, the new Leave It to Beaver, Silver Spoons, The Love Boat, Santa Barbara. He was in a lot of good stuff. Fantasy Island, Fast Times of Ridgemont High, Little House on the Prairie, Startsky and Hutch, Silver Street, that was a hilarious movie. Mod Squad. Shirley Temple Storybook, The Apartment with Shirley MacLaine. South Pacific. He was in the original South Pacific in 1958. That's what the picture was from. And his first known credit is The Web in 1954. Good for him, dude. You rock. All right. And last but not least, our murder victim, Duggan, which we know this was his last credit because he died the year I was born in 1989 at the age of 77. He is known for The Greatest Show on Earth, 1952, No Blade of Grass, 1970, The Naked Prey, 1965, and Sword of Lancelot, 1963. And this is his last known credit. He was 60 and 69 different credits. Or different projects. He guest starred on The Love Boat, The New Mike Hammer, Fantasy Island, Gargoyles. It was a TV movie. Night Gallery. The Naked Prey was a movie. I've never seen it. Uh, General Electric. The Dinosaur Show. Uh, Father Knows Best. I Love Lucy. Oh, cool. I Love Lucy. Who doesn't? And a lot of old MGM movies. His first um, credited roles in High Serena. But he has three other uncredited roles in 1936, 37, and 40. The Rhythm Party exclusive and Lady with Red Hair. Um, but he's uncredited for those roles. So who knows if he's actually in that. But anyway, that's about it. Um, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a good day, night, depending on when you listen to this. I'll be posting this tomorrow, maybe. And, uh, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and I'm still committed. It's just been, the weather has been bringing me down, but, uh, hopefully it'll be better soon. And I pray for peace throughout the world when my head hits the pillow. Happy crime solving, and I'll see you in the next one.